to the podcast at WarSportsNow.com. We cover both sides of the Hudson. I'm Steve Titchener, and we have the whole crew here in the house, John McAlevey and Matt Lachlan. And it's only fitting because on the line, we have the busiest man in show business this time of year <laughs> from CBS and Westwood One, NFL commentator Ian Eagle. Ian, thanks for taking some time with us. It is a full house backfield. I'm honored to be on the program. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, give us a day in the life. You're, uh, you're out. To, you're going to L.A. for for the Chiefs, yeah. and then wait a minute. Now you go. Are you going to make it, Bird? Are you right there, Bud? Or what? I'm feeling good. I feel like I'm going to make it. Good. And then you pack it all up and head to Detroit for the Jets Lions on Westwood One. So, uh, you know, when when will you travel out? How how does your week uh, set up? Uh, the week it's not as exciting as it may sound. Right now, I'm uh, staring at four different NFL boards that I'll create for. The entire week, I chip away over the course of the week with the Chargers and the Chiefs, then the Lions and the Jets, and you're just constantly shifting and organizing, reorganizing, uh, trying to compartmentalize information. And Friday morning, I'll fly out to L.A. We'll meet with the Chargers first. We'll meet with the Chiefs on Saturday. We'll do the game on Sunday. I'll take a red-eye Sunday night. I'll take a nap Monday at some point and then head over to the stadium and do uh, the Jets and the Lions for Monday Night Football on the radio. So packing a lot in, then it's a quick turnaround Thursday. I'm in Cincinnati for the Ravens and the Bengals and then turn around and do the Steelers and the Chiefs in Pittsburgh on Sunday. So four games over the course of eight days, but it's really the perfect way to get the NFL season started. I feel like I'm fully caught up by the time that Week two wraps up and and I exhale a bit, but I feel like I'm I'm immersed and and that's the way you should feel doing this job. Absolutely, hit the ground running, and we don't even want to get into what happens when basketball season starts and you're doing the Nets because then it's if this is Tuesday, it must be San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> you know where am I? Uh, I don't have nearly the travel schedule that you have, but I know in the past I have had that feeling. I'm sure you have too, Bird, where you do wake up and a lot of these hotels look an awful lot alike, and you literally go, is this Tuesday and am I in Chicago or is it Thursday and I'm in Ottawa? It's, it's, it's yeah. sometimes it gets crazy. Yeah. And Matty, uh, our good friend, Bill Rafter, I used to mock him because he would take the, the little card holder that they would give him at the hotel front desk with his room number on it. And I'd say to him, Bill, you don't know what room you're in. It's a, you'll, you'll see bird. You'll see. <laughs> and all these years later, I find myself, going to my room, whatever room it is, and I put the key in and it doesn't work and I get frustrated and I go downstairs and I said, yeah, it's uh, last name Eagle, room 804, and they start typing a lot of characters into the computer. I don't know why they, they type as much as they do. And they say, uh, sir, you're you're in 422. <laughs> and I realized 804 was, was the last hotel. So it does happen. I, I did have an instance, I think it was three years ago, I had three red eyes over the course of three straight weeks and then had a quick turnaround, had a fly to Houston after taking a red eye and spending half a day at home. And I get on the plane. I'm not a great plane sleeper. I don't just conk out. Some people have that gift. I just don't. And finally, I, I start to find myself falling asleep on the approach, on decline, uh, whatever that motion was. And it's not the sleep where you're deep, deep, but I knew that I was at least getting some Z's, but I was aware of my surroundings. 
but I heard this very abnormal sound that kept popping up every six seconds that, that was waking me up, but not to the point where I wanted to open my eyes. So I'm sleeping two minutes in, three minutes in. Finally, after five minutes of hearing this noise, and it was pretty rhythmic, the noise, I said, I got to open my eyes and see what's going on. This is just getting completely annoying. And I realized the noise was coming from me. There were four people around me on the plane staring at me. I had lost all control of my bodily function. And it, I realized that every six seconds I was doing, and that's when I realized that maybe I, I needed to reassess my sleeping habits completely. Yes. Well, speaking of sleeping habits, let's hope Monday night this big matchup of the Jets and the Lions doesn't find people sleeping halfway through. But uh, getting onto the field a little bit, the Jets will unveil Sam Darnold. Uh, I understand yep. he'll be the first rookie quarterback to ever debut on Monday Night Football. What do you think that Jets fans can expect from him in his first snaps? Impressed with him individually. Obviously, I had a chance to sit down with him during the preseason, working those Jets preseason games. He's 21. He walks in the room. You you notice right away. He looks young. He looks 21. This isn't a 21-year-old that looks 30. He looks the part, mm -hmm. but he carries himself with a maturity, with a presence, and I can see why his teammates have responded to him. Uh, the other part that was very much encouraging off the field, talking to some people that work for the Jets, they, uh, they told me that a lot of things were offered to him right away. You're a rookie quarterback in the NFL. They want you to come and throw up the first pitch at a baseball game at City Field or Yankee Stadium. They want you to come to the opening of this movie. They want you to come to this Broadway show. They want you to come to this new club. He didn't do any of it. He basically told the PR people, look, I'm here to play quarterback. That stuff will happen down the road. This is what I want to do. So it shows me that uh, he's committed. He is uh, certainly uh, already got the professional mindset to take this job on head on. And then on the field, I've just been impressed with uh, how he conducts himself and how he commands respect. Uh, he's got He's got a very good arm. I wouldn't tell you that it's the elite level that we've seen from some other players, but it's certainly well above average. His skills outside the pocket have really impressed me. That's the part that, that I just didn't know. Watching him on TV, watching him in college, you get a sense of it, but in person, I walked away thinking that this is going to be a big part of who he is, his ability to make plays on the run, his ability to go against the grain, throw across the field, make the proper throws. And uh, he's sharp. He's smart. Uh, he consumed this offense. He uh, has taken a lot of the cues from Josh McCown and before the deal, Teddy Bridgewater. So I think he listens uh, there's a likability there and a leadership that you have to have at that position. And if I'm a Jet fan right now, the hope is that you don't have to worry about this possession, position for the next 10 years.
It's all the more impressive, Ian, also because he really hasn't played the position all that much. I know uh, coming up in high school, I think he was a linebacker for a lot of the yep. time. And and so now to go from uh, high school to USC, Pac-12, and, and now to be the number three pick in the NFL draft, and oh, by the way, start game one, season one, is all the more impressive, you would think, right? Yeah, it's been almost a historic rise, and the fact that it's happening in New York probably amplifies it just a bit. And for some, I would tell you, okay, this is going to be too much. It's going to be too overwhelming, too much stimulus. I don't think it's going to be a problem for him. Uh, He just strikes me as someone that can process information quickly. And I, I think if you look back, Ben Roethlisberger comes to mind of players that just had a very quick learning curve. Ben Roethlisberger was a wide receiver in high school or a tight end. Uh, finally got a chance to play some quarterback his senior year. Uh, didn't get heavily recruited. Ended up at Miami, Ohio. Uh, thought initially that it was going to be too big of a jump in competition to go straight from Miami, Ohio to the NFL and be an impact player. And then obviously we know the rest. A couple of Super Bowl titles and now prolific numbers from Big Ben. Uh, there's not necessarily a similarity to them as players, but I think there's a similarity in their ability to to handle what's being thrown at them. And that's a big part of it. Uh, I, we get caught up because that's the easy way to go on the pure physical part of playing the position. There have been so many players that have had big arms that can't seem to master the position. The Jets had one in Christian Hackenberg, who just got picked up by Cincinnati on their practice squad. Geno Smith, recent New York Jet, now a backup with the Los Angeles Chargers. Big arms. They physically checked all the boxes, but there just was something missing in the leadership category, uh, the ability to uh, take what you're doing in the quarterback room and then translating it onto the field. That's just not something that you know until you have the guy in your camp, at your facility, every day. And everybody that I've talked to with the Jets associated with this team that's there to evaluate talent and there to make this young player into a real starting NFL quarterback will tell you that he's done everything that's been asked of him up until this point, and they believe it's going to continue. Ian, it's a tough uh, matchup for the Jets going to Detroit. Detroit's on the up and up. You know, we know who they have at quarterback, and they're they're a very good team. How do you see it going? Yeah, it's funny with Detroit. I don't know what to make of them. Matt Patricia takes over and had a chance to meet with Matt many times when he was the defensive coordinator in New England. Exceptionally bright. Uh, could have done a number of different things in his life, but, but chose football because it was a passion. Uh, Belichick obviously stamp of approval. I think in my experience with Josh McDaniels and Eric Mangini, uh, two Belichick disciples that became head coaches, they tried to be Bill Belichick when they became head coaches instead of just being themselves. And Mangini realized it during his second stint, but way too late when he was in Cleveland And McDaniels realizes it now. The next time he gets an opportunity, he just can't be a carbon copy of Bill Belichick. You have to do things your way. My concern right now with Matt Patricia is that he's following a similar path. Now, we don't know this until we get into the season. uh, But I look at Detroit, and 
I think they might take a step back this year. Uh, I, I have some some possible questions with them on on the offensive end. There's still some weapons there, but the window of opportunity is now for Matthew Stafford. If this team and if he is going to have the kind of personal success and then the team success that was expected when he was taken number one, it's got to happen now. Defensively, they, uh, they, they've got an interesting team. I, I, I'm curious where the pass rush is going to come from beyond Ziggy Ansah, who is a very talented player, as we know. They've made some changes to their linebacking core uh, with Devon Kennard, a familiar name to Giant fans. Uh, secondary, again, playmakers. But I'm, I'm not as bullish on, on the Lions as, as I was in previous years. I and you work for CBS, so you cover AFC games. Not that there aren't crossovers, and certainly you live in New Jersey, so you're well familiar with the Giants. So that leads to sure. that leads to the question: Who's going to have a better season, Jets or Giants? Yeah, I worked that Jets Giants preseason game, and there's only so much you can take out of these preseason games. They're so vanilla. Coaches at this point are so concerned with anybody getting film on them and getting any kind of dossier that they can build, which, by the way, is going to happen by the time week one hits. But this is the secretive world that we live in. I like the vibe around the Giants much more than I had in in the previous two years. I just feel as if they're on a much more professional path than they had been on. Uh, With that said, there are still some questions there uh, regarding this team, how quickly they will gel and how much Eli Manning has in the tank. I do believe that uh, Pat Shermer and Eli Manning are on the same page, that there's just more of a trust there. I don't know if if Ben McAdoo had created that with Eli in that uh, Eli's opinions were being heard and being uh, orchestrated into the offense. Defensively, still some some question marks for New York. Offensive line, still some question marks for New York. I think Saquon Barkley has a chance to be a star in this league. I do wonder if one day Giant fans will look back and question whether or not quarterback was the right way to go when you have such a high pick at two. But that's not for this year. I think the Giants can go out and win uh, eight or nine games. I think the Jets would probably be fortunate to win six. Big picture NFL-wise, Ian, what were your thoughts uh, when the Khalil Mack trade was made first for the Raiders and John Gruden now off to a bit of a rocky start with Raider Nation? And then also for the Bears who... You know, Mitch Trubisky now in year two, uh, they have a, a pretty good defense, and you add Khalil Mack to that, uh, there could be an uprising in the Windy City. So what are your thoughts on the trade for both teams? Yeah, let's take the Oakland side first. Uh, I was surprised that they were not having the kind of conversations that would be fruitful and productive. It, it didn't get off to a good start. Uh, Gruden and Mack were not chatting, and <laughs> When you take over as a, a head coach in this league, uh, you got a couple choices to make. One of them is uh, do you buddy up to your best player, most talented player? And John Gruden's tact was different. Now, there might be financial concerns there that none of us are familiar with that could be holding the Raiders back. 
that they could not pay that kind of money. And uh, in the transition with the team moving to a new city, new stadium, and a completely new dynamic, uh, they they just felt financially they, they couldn't commit to that level. If that's the case, and it may be the case, then that's going to probably explain why this happened. From a pure football standpoint, it makes no sense whatsoever. You have a player like that in his prime and a chance to lock him up and homegrown someone you believed in and drafted and developed. And I've met him many times. Uh, he's exactly what you want in, in a football player and a leader. So shocking from the Bears point of view, they're going for broke and they better better believe that Mitch Trubisky is the real deal because now there is a lot of talent surrounding him defensively. I think they will wreak some havoc this year. I think Mac is a perfect compliment for them. It's been dormant for a long time. I think about it with the bears and the team that, that I grew up watching and the expectation that you had for that city, for that franchise has been a non-factor for a long, long time. So it looks like Ryan Pace is, is swinging for the fences now, and they're resting a lot of the responsibility on, on this young quarterback. Met with him last year when I had a Bears game. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's, he's got a very even-tempered personality. Uh, you wonder if the fiery side is going to come out as the pressure builds. Uh, they're they're going to need to see a little bit more. I, I I definitely think last year they they reined him in a bit. Uh, they're going to have to let him go out there and and make some mistakes this year on offense uh, to see what they really have on their hands. And think about it with uh, with Mac I and you, you, the Bears have this history of linebackers, you know, Butkus and and uh, Erlacher, you know, sure. so to to bring Khalil Mack, I thought it was a it was a good match there. But I I, I got to say, you know, in the Rams sign Aaron Donald to a hundred and thirty five million dollar contract it really just changes the whole market. I thought yep. the Raiders were in a tough spot. I mean, to give up one hundred and forty million, tie yourself up like that when they're headed to Vegas. I don't know. I mean, it's a tough one. It's really a tough one there. But I mean, he is a great player in his prime. Yeah, and, and I can understand it, and, and that's why I bring up the financial concerns. Uh, there just might be more at play here where this franchise can't quite afford that right now. Aaron Donald, a year ago, they were in a similar contract stalemate, uh, basically agreed that, hey, uh, we're, we're going to figure this thing out. And it took about a year for them to figure it out. He means so much to that team, and this is a team now that also – has a win-now mentality, believes they can be a Super Bowl contender, uh, believes they took the right steps forward last year. They certainly did with Coach McVay, who uh, brought this fire and energy and a mentality that, that the franchise needed and, and fixed Jared Goff. I, that's probably not even fair to say. Put Jared Goff in a position to succeed, which hadn't happened with the previous coaching staff. Uh, the pieces are there for the Rams, and I understand why they did it. They had to do it. He is the centerpiece of that defense, and without him, things things are not going to work as uh, fluidly as as they believe they could. They let Tremaine Johnson go, and that was a big loss. And it was the Jets' gain, uh, lockdown corner. The Rams weren't going to pay that kind of money. Uh, where we are now in the NFL, uh, you better not only have a really talented GM, you better have a salary cap maven that that understands how all of this works because uh, that 
that is what the league is all about. It's not just the talent, but how you use it, how you budget it, and how you forecast over a four- or five-year period what your team is going to look like based on the financial commitments that you've made. Curtis, the season is upon us. What are some of the stories that we can expect to come out of this season, either from teams that will surprise good or bad? And will the national anthem protest, will that be an issue? Well, let's take the first part of it. Uh, I think it will continue to pop up because of where we are in the world. Stories can move quickly and reactions and agendas uh, there are going to be people that will continue to push it. Uh, from a network point of view, it, it's interesting. We we never aired the anthem. Uh, I've been doing the NFL now for 21 years. That was not part of, of what we did. Maybe on the opening weekend of the NFL, the league would ask us to do that, and the network would comply. But it hasn't been part of our coverage for all these years. It became part of our coverage as we know, because of Colin Kaepernick and because of the president and the fact that uh, there was public interest in what was happening. I don't know if it's going to be as big a a factor television-wise this year if CBS and Fox are going back to their normal setup, which was you do your on-camera open, you go to break. That's when the anthem takes place. And you come back and and you start covering the game. I, I don't know if that's going to change this year. My sense is that it will not. So there will be some that will still be uh, writing it and talking about it. Uh, obviously, if, there, if there's something that happens at an NFL stadium, if there's something newsworthy, then we will report on it. Uh, but that would be my sense of, of how that's going to go, at least in the early part of, of this season. As far as the storylines, look, The NFL is, to me, uh, still the the sport that can stop you in your tracks, that you need to know what's happening. Thursday, Sunday, Monday, that's three different days of the NFL on a weekly basis. I think because of fantasy football and probably because of gambling, uh, this this sport went to new heights and heights that I'm not sure anyone could have ever anticipated. So if we're comparing ratings, if we're comparing the numbers from year to year, I'm not sure they're ever going to match what they once were. But the numbers are still dominant because the sport has, has swept the nation. I'm not convinced that's going to change. People have an insatiable need for, for pro football. And I don't see it adjusting to the point where uh, the NFL is is taking hits that uh, that they haven't taken in the past from from a financial standpoint. On the field, you still have a lot of intrigue. Is this the New England run coming to an end, or is it still a continuation? A healthy Aaron Rodgers is that enough? the most gifted quarterback in the NFL to lead the Green Bay Packers to the playoffs and to be a legitimate threat to to go to a Super Bowl. Uh, New Orleans, Drew Brees, does he have one more run in him? Really talented group, improved defensively. They got much younger and faster on the defensive side. 
who else in the AFC can step forward? It's been Pittsburgh in that second slot behind New England. Uh, can a team like the Los Angeles Chargers take an important step and, and can Philip Rivers enjoy some postseason success? There's great stories all around this league, uh, no shortage of them. Uh, I'm excited. It's, uh, it's always a fun time because there's this natural curiosity going into week one. Everybody is thinking optimistically. Everybody believes they're going to be better than they were. And the reality is there's always a worst-to-first scenario in the NFL. You just can't say that about the other major sports. Last one for me, Ian, is uh, fantasy sports have really taken over, uh, especially in the NFL. And now you have folks that really don't follow teams and could, frankly, care less if teams are doing well and they're just yep. following certain products on the field. How has that uh, affected or changed the way uh, national football telecasts are done that you try to work some of those things into your telecast? Is it something that you, you try not to pay too much attention to? H- how has that evolved over the years? Well, I- I've played fantasy football since 1991. So from a personal standpoint, I've always been aware of it. I've always been cognizant of its role in the week-to-week interest level of the NFL. On a, again, personal level, calling the game, other than getting maybe a little extra excited when it's one of my guys scoring a touchdown, and I know that it's going to help me that week. Right. <laughs> no, there, there really hasn't been much, and, and I, I say that in jest. Uh, the reality is... Uh, once once I get the headset on, it's all about the game that I'm doing and everything that's going on in my life takes a backseat for that three-hour and five-minute broadcast. I think back, all these fantasy drafts that I've done, there was only one player sit-down where I thought to myself, this guy has absolutely screwed me this year in fantasy football. <laughs> and I, I've never said anything to any player ever oh, for 20, 20 plus years of doing this. But there was one time, and the guy was a really nice guy. It just for whatever reason, uh, he he had a terrible year, and I made a terrible pick. And it was it was Elvis Gerback. Oh, yeah, okay, the old lefty. Yeah. Hey, who went yeah, first? In, who went first in your league, Gurley or Bell? Uh, first in our league was Gurley. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got Gurley a chuckle last Bell too. Yeah, that was funny last night. Last John night, Millman. watching the end of the Federer match when John Millman Fantastic. talked about how he had to get some sleep and recover. Uh, he said because he had a 7 a.m. <laughs> fantasy football draft and he had the second Tremendous. pick. <laughs> Tremendous. Tremendous. And, by the way, like people could relate to that. There's no doubt about it. It's amazing how much fantasy has, has played a role, not just in – the general NFL fans viewpoint, but young people, I'd say more than anything else. I, the two things that have changed the way that young people watch the sport, fantasy football and the red zone channel. Yeah. No it's question. Changed everything. Mm-hmm. It's incredible to me how younger people now consume the sport with multiple yeah. screens and just bopping around from game to game to game. And it's unfortunate because they don't really get the feel of a true NFL game flow, mm-hmm. but it's their normal and their reality. So I, I can't I can't really fight it, and I'm certainly not going to be the guy screaming from my lawn to, to get off it. <laughs> uh, I get it. I understand. Things change. Things adjust, and, and we adjust with them. I and two more quick questions, then we'll let you go. It's on a personal level here. Tell us about the program at Syracuse that has produced so many excellent commentators like yourself. 
Uh, I think it's been a combination of things. Uh, the fact that they have such a strong alumni and success with their alumni means that you get young people that have an aptitude for broadcasting that want to go there. So the talent keeps showing up year in and year out, and the, the proof is, is in the pudding. It's, it's a yearly ritual now that uh, Syracuse is going to produce uh, another talented or bunch of talented sportscasters. And, and obviously, the competition level when you're there, uh, the fact that you're being pushed to be the best that you can be, not only through the classes, but through college radio and college television, and the fact that there are other people that share an interest in this as you do. So you show up thinking, I'm going to be the next Bob Costas, and you realize there are 12 people standing there next to you that also believe they're going to be the next Bob Costas or Marv Albert or Sean McDonough or Marty Glickman, or and the Eagle. list goes on and on. Yeah, so it's been... <laughs> or Noah Eagle it's been, at yeah, some point. It's been fun to watch, Matt. It, it, it's been pretty wild to uh, to see the whole evolution of it from graduating in 1990 to, to here we are now in 2018. Yeah. All right, one more. Give us the one sporting event, Ian, that you haven't called that you would love to call. You know, I've been involved at some level in in all of these larger sporting events, uh, NBA Finals, uh, did did it for the, the world feed on seven or eight occasions, uh, national championship game, same deal for the world feed. Uh, Super Bowl, I was part of the pregame coverage a few years ago in in San Francisco, uh, probably to call a Super Bowl, just to feel that, uh, to feel the energy of, of that moment, knowing how many eyeballs are on it, knowing uh, what it took for these two teams to get to the pinnacle. And then as a broadcaster, I don't know if it's going to get any bigger than that. So uh, I would say just call on a Super Bowl uh, someday and and the preparation and the mental part of it too, of uh, just being being uh, your best, but not trying to be something that you're not, just doing the things that, that you've done to get yourself to that moment and then doing them over the course of the, the three hours and what is uh, the biggest spectacle in American sports. Well, Ian, it's a thrill having you on. We know you're super busy, so thanks for taking some time with us, and we hope to have you back later in the season. Yeah, anytime, guys. Great talking to you. Great conversation, and, and keep it up. Yeah. Uh, love, love chatting with you guys. All right, thanks thanks so much. very much. Have a great season, and next time we'll ask you why you're not on Twitter, but we'll save that for the next time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be a 25 minute. Answer. There we go. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, All right. Be well. Say All hi right. to everybody. Thanks, Ian. <laughs> See you guys. Thank you. And that's Ian Eagle from CBS and Westwood One. Thrilled to have him on the show. Yeah, yeah I've good. known him for a real long time. Uh, started working with him when he was just cutting his teeth covering the NBA with the Nets. Started out doing radio there and then moved to TV and the rest is history. He's a great broadcaster. He's Absolutely. ambitious, but not in an overt way. Mm -hmm. And he just has been a success from the moment he put the headsets on, even at Syracuse. Although it's funny, and we could talk to him about it the next time because it was so competitive there. He certainly had an opportunity and did well, but you know, there are a lot of other voices there. He touched upon how competitive the Syracuse mm -hmm. situation is. So it wasn't a given that he was going to mm -hmm. uh, step into the world and become one of the best broadcasters that this generation has, but he certainly has done that. And no need to ask how he got his nickname. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no. You know, but 
we could talk about not only the fact that his son now is a mm-hmm. burgeoning sportscaster no. and part mm-hmm. of that, yeah, part of that uh, Syracuse cabal, but also Ian was born into a show business family. His mom and dad both worked in show business. And for those mm-hmm. who are old enough to remember, and we may be in that demographic, there was a Xerox commercial, if you remember, a long time ago, and there was a monk who yes. right, needed the repairs done, and it's a All miracle. Right. Jack mm-hmm. Eagle was Ian's dad. That's that's the monk. Uh, YouTube <laughs> okay. it if you don't know. Steve is trying to feign, John, that he's not in it. I remember that. But <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. That, that was his dad. So both he and uh, his dad and his mom were in show business. So in some ways, Ian was, was born to this. Well, mm-hmm. as they say, there's no business like show business, and he has certainly risen up the ranks, and yeah. we really thank him for coming uh, on. Absolutely. And that will do it for this week's podcast. We'd like to thank Ian Eagle for joining us. Check out our site, More Sports. SportsNow.com. We cover both sides of the Hudson. I'm Steve Titchener, joined by John McLevy and Matt Lachlan. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.